This is Quite Like, a podcast. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this is episode 10 of our uh, much-heralded, eagerly-awaited fortnightly podcast. And I'm Rory Forbes. And I'm Tim Dedman. So, Tim, what have we been up to over the last couple of weeks? It's been a few water scorcher out there, hasn't it? We've had... I think we, we, we got five or six weeks without any... Um, daytime rainfall a little bit overnight once or twice and then of course the Isle of Wight festival arrived so of course at some point during the festival weekend I suspect the heavens may well have opened (laughs) yes on a Sunday afternoon at about probably two o'clock till about mm, five or six o'clock it varied from light drizzle to steady proper rain and um I think the people who'd been at the festival for the whole weekend were probably delighted by the by it. Those who dibbed in on a kind of a Robbie fest were a little bit disappointed, but I, I didn't see anybody throwing the towel. Everybody just um, kind of man and womaned up and uh, got on with it. I'm sure you'll fill us in a little bit later. Certainly will. In the running order. Um, well, yeah, for me, I think the heat wave's been a remarkable feature the last few weeks. Yes, brought to a halt by a fairly torrential downpour overnight just a couple of nights ago monday night into tuesday and the garden's looking much the better for it absolutely thank goodness you know we're, we're obviously of a certain age when we start heralding the arrival of you know torrential downpours because the plants will benefit and the lawn you know returns to its uh, sex and drugs and rock and roll to the size of your potatoes festival to fauna is that the name of your potatoes <laughs> But e- equally, one of the things that we'd, we'd had problems, so in the, during the last two weeks, we've also managed to get to the local dump. Now, we call it a dump. I believe here in Ireland the phrase is tip. Now, are you, are you, do you have a local one, or, or are you on Lynn's Bottom? We, we are in Afton Marsh, don't you know? So I think <laughs> that's clearly the upper market. We were talking before this about charity shops and my long-held theory that you only go to charity shops in posh areas, so Ascot being a good example. It sounds to me like we have the bit of, of the same going on with social amenities. Ours is called Lynn Bottom yes. and is near the Heron Hounds at Arrowton-ish, the crossroads on Braiding Downs. Robin Hill. Yes. Yours sounds to be of a whole different social um, well, level. Well, we're right next to a Tesco supermarket, so I think that probably brings it down enough. Not, not Marks and Spencer's. But ours, ours is an exclusive civic amenity site. I mean, it always amuses me the names councils come up with for what I still call the dump. Or the tip. But, or the tip, depending on where you come from in the country. But um, I think the Isle of Wight refer to them as civic amenity sites, is that correct? I so think yeah. so. Ours is Afton Marsh, and it's extremely exclusive because it's only open three days a week, which lends to my heatwave story we had quite a lot of bags of grass cuttings and border um, uh, weeding uh, output that had cooked and steeped all the way through the heatwave and for various logistical reasons we couldn't get to the dump on the days when it's open. Don't you have a compost tape? Not yet. Because no. grass is absolutely, you know, oh, grass, yeah. cardboard and other rubbish is yeah. absolutely the be- best. Jane, being a horticulturalist, is desperate for a compost heap, but where we want our compost heap has not yet uh, achieved its page in the project plan of the jigsaw of moving bits around the garden to, to function. So we should have a temporary one, but we don't. Before the podcast, we, we were talking about um, perfectionism versus get it done and see what happens. And this is a perfect example. <laughs> exactly. Just, we could, we could, we've got so much of our garden, maybe 
a third to a half of our garden is still wild, so we could have a pile somewhere. We have a few piles, but they are not productive piles. They are piles waiting for a skip to be brought along to remove. But um, So the compost has to go to the tip, stroke dump, stroke civic community site. And oh my goodness, I'm scarred from what I had to tip into the the green bin at the dump. It was uh, it was grim, but uh, heat wave. Yeah, it's certainly right. So we're we're now booking one a week. We are you on booking? An interesting we, we, question. Yeah, we still have to book. Um, yeah, do you, do you so, so some people I've spoken to hate that the idea of having to book into the dump. Mm. I think it's great. Well, a pre this is obviously booking came as a lockdown. You know, coming out of lockdown requirement to minimise interaction, um, and so staff could be protected and we could be protected. Um, I find it a breath of fresh air for two reasons. Pre-lockdown, when I went to my local dump back in Aldershot on the mainland, I might find myself queuing for half an hour to forty-five minutes to get in. Now there's no queuing at all. No. Uh, yeah, I think I think I found that I'm able to go at unattractive times. Um, so you, you literally just rock up, mm. drive up, park, be checked in, and I found them really helpful. Yeah. So I, I think the island, the island pit crew do a yeah, really, yeah. really good job. Uh, absolutely, it used to be um, used to be very scary. There was a lady who ran the the dump in Aldershot. Apologies if you're listening, because you were actually lovely, but you, you had this steely scare stare that froze grown men into small boys again. <laughs> That's interesting because the lady in rugby was exactly the same <laughs> and you know she had hulking Latvians who were all six foot five working for it was a bit like the mafia yeah, yeah you feel that there was like a brain which was often the yes. small lady yes. behind it all and then yeah. there was hired muscle around that should intimidate but actually she could intimidate worse than they could. She was knitting on her rocking chair and you know um, flooring full-grown men with a single stare. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so talking about people who um, uh, get themselves into trouble or a difficulty, um, our local island MP this week managed to uh, excel himself. Yeah, Victoria Derbyshire has been getting a bit of press, both pro and anti. She had a bit of a run-in with Alistair Campbell the, the other week, but she excelled herself, I think, on Newsnight, with managing to remember from, I think, Friday through to Monday or Tuesday what a politician had actually said the previous week. And um, wonderful clips available on Twitter, which, if Rory um, can... Uh, deploy the technical expertise will be will be on the Instagram site. But basically, um, all, on one Friday he was saying, "Oh no 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 no." I, I don't and think then I by did. Tuesday, you I think, did. Oh, yes 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 it, yes it, yes. Well, indeed, it was the kangaroo court. He referred yeah. to the privileges committee as a kangaroo court quite comfortably and openly. He obviously had taken a view that that was the side he was going to come down on. Resmog. The pro Boris Resmog Nadine. Nads, Dorries um, side, but by obviously the, the way the wind was blowing had changed. Maybe this is what and I affect an island MP the way the wind blows because the wind blew in a rather different direction until he was on Newsnight on Monday night. I Monday think or Tuesday, yeah. yeah. And of course, he was accused and reminded in an accusatorial way by the journalist Victoria Derbyshire that he had uh, referred to the Privileges Committee as a kangaroo court, which is now almost and virtually if not actually in contempt of parliament to even say such a thing what do you think about this whole thing is so some people say i don't care it's it's history i'm not interested equally it's the other side is it's a fundamental democratic principle what what do you think i think it's about time that the system grew a pair and decided what it stands for you know I'm reminded of 
Alistair Carmichael. Do you remember Alistair Carmichael, Liberal Democrat MP for one of the Shet well, Shetlands? Vaguely. Um, he he accused uh, Nicola Sturgeon of something during a general election campaign, and and it was he knew and admitted, and it was an outright lie. So he accused her of something outright lie, um, which obviously got press. Some some conversation with a French diplomat that was inappropriate, allegedly, uh, didn't happen. Um, he got taken to an electoral court by some of the electorate of his constituency, a very arcane, possibly medieval construct. Anyway, this electoral court sat and pondered for weeks and weeks and weeks, but concluded that because it was an election, you know, candidates in an election are perfectly entitled to lie through their back teeth because it's an election. And, you know, for me, that there's a phrase that's stuck in my craw um stuck in my throat somewhat you know no i expect standards high standards i expect honesty truth um which i think coming back to alistair campbell is what his new book is all about his best-selling new book fellow podcaster. he doesn't need another plug from us <laughs> he just got one maybe a signed copy might be on its way or two alistair <laughs> uh, we can i know you're a big fan alistair we like alistair we like alistair we like his back fights. um but to, to i expect elected representatives, people who stand up, put their head above the power of it, represent the community, to do just that, represent the community with standards, with integrity, with professionalism, accountability, integrity. We, we, we've got a little bit lost from those yeah. things. He, he lied to Parliament three times. He then lied to the committee, he then made fun of the committee, and he then went against the rules and published the committee's findings in advance, which is why he ended up with what looks like a silly punishment rather than a more normal you know 30-day punishment uh, i think i think it's interesting that the prime minister who promised probity high standards and the rest decided accountability integrity decided he just had to be somewhere else on that What's day that? I, don't I, did. Did. You absolutely I think did. we should take a break and then we're going to come back to a bit of economics ah, time to switch off looking forward to that stay tuned Okay, back after that uh, brief break. Um, it is the longest day, so we will be taking regular breaks too. And it is quite warm this afternoon. So hydration, that's a key message, I think, today yeah. for everybody. Hydration is important. Absolutely. And you can mix your water with all sorts of things. We're currently drinking a, a nice cup of tea. Um, well, mine is still going, but I think about halfway break we might actually partake of something. A little diversion. And do you have your own spring that provides the water? We, not that we're aware of, although... Under one of the piles in our garden, we do have a boggy area, which I think oh. might be... And we have a pond in That's the garden. That's halfway to a spring. I mean, it, it might not be water I would want to drink at this stage. We were flirting with our neighbour over the back wall the other day, oh. as we say in Yorkshire, and um, he came... We were talking about water shortages, and he said, well, of course, I have got a spring and a well in my garden. As you do. So then the 91-year-old from the other side tottered round the house saying, I thought I'd come round to say hello. It turns out he's got a bloody well in his house as well. We're the only people on the site who haven't got a well. Are you sure you haven't? Because... Uh Usually you can tell because you have water bubbling through yeah, the... Yeah. These, I think, you lower a bucket in and pull it out oh, see, and yes, yes, yes. you Traditional make, you make your own beer yeah. from the Rookley Spring. Yes, these yes. two have a, have a well. Uh, two wells. It, there must be some common law that allows... All two wells on my wagon. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember those? One wheel on my wagon. Did you see Matt's post from his holiday? 
my younger son Matt has been on a European break with, with his girlfriend wonderful stuff um, progressively each case that they bought a wheel fell off of it <laughs> and we've been thinking of that old classic which Rory yeah. hopefully will play you an expert, excerpt yeah, yeah. of called Three Wheels on My Wagon and, and I'm, I'm still, still rolling along the Cherokee are after me yes yeah, yeah. so there is actually several cartoon versions early videos on YouTube so your challenge is to get them they're awful but they're great fun that, that, I didn't dare to reply to them with the link because they're trading hipsters yes, so I, thought, yes. I put something from the 60s on there and, and of course that's reminding me incredibly um, strongly of Ed Stupot's Jerk's Sunday morning radio program exactly. on Radio 2 uh, where that was played regularly I think yes yeah yeah, yeah. Anyway, we do indeed digress, but uh, how do we... Oh, we, wells and springs and yes, water. Yes, yes. Halftime breaks, drinks, yes. yes. We'll, we'll let you know what we're drinking later. Later. But of course... If any, there is a later. If there is a later. I mean, everything we buy to, to hydrate with, of course, costs us money. And as we say, we're, we're recording this episode 10 of the podcast on the longest day, Midsummer Day, on the day that the latest inflation figures have come out for the UK. And it's not been good news for any of us. It's not been good news for the government, not been good news for the Bank of England. Um, you know, inflation hasn't changed. Uh, the, the headline rate of inflation is static between April and May. Um, but even worse, what's called core inflation, you know, the things that are non kind of variable elements, the things that we all rely on, the necessities of life. Um, there's another song coming there, isn't there? The bare necessities of life will come to you. Um, are going up. So the government's pledge to reduce inflation by half by the end of this year is actually being met mid-year, mid-summer's day, by inflation, headline rate, static, core inflation going up. So, oh my goodness. Yeah, I, th I think for most people, food is kind of the starting point. And it was expected that, I mean, food's running at around 18% give or take at the moment and there were strong indications that that would start to be coming down and I think they really needed that the, the core one is a little more complex because you, you take some other things mm -hmm. variables a, out a basket, but the fact yeah. that food hasn't moved I think is a big political problem for them explaining away this and the Bank of England set to put rates up by quarter to half a percent again tomorrow which will then knock on to mortgages which means that people are going to be paying over 6% for their renewals. Now, yeah. we were talking about our youth when rates were typically 13, 14, 15%. Yeah. Do you think, was it different then? Or are we, are we just trying to be very tough about this? I don't think we then we had all the other pressures on prices. I think we, we have a war on all fronts on prices. If you want to go out for a night out, if you want to take a train, if you want to... You go for a holiday if you want to fill your car up if you want to pay to heat the house and you know have a hot shower in the morning all of that costs so much more now that when you get a marginal increase in interest rates which have been historically low since the pandemic the beginning of the pandemic since lockdown when everything kind of settled down to a very low historic rate of interest we've had 10 years though of low yeah, single digits yeah, yeah absolutely yeah and and thankfully we have because that has enabled people to enjoy the dream of home ownership you know own an asset develop an asset you know um, is our generation complacent and complicit well you're talking now to a, a lad in a couple uh myself and jane who walked into a, an estate agent's 
to buy our first house with no savings at all. And we walked out with a mortgage offer in principle, uh, having been advised by the mortgage advisor to take out a loan to pay all the legal fees, um, a particular account that would allow us to borrow money down and pay it off over time. Uh, and we got on the property ladder within six weeks of our first expression of interest in a, in a house. Um, and you know, we saw our house price increase dramatically over the next two, four, six, uh, ten years. Um, and, you know, we're now 30-odd years on since that first house we had, 35 years, 34 years since we took out our first mortgage, extended it for projects and so on. Um, and we're now, luckily, at the stage of the game where we're mortgage-free. So our, now I look back, because I'm looking back comfortably, at a time when I survived. I got through everything. Um, uh, well, does that make me complacent now? But uh, but have we lived the dream of seeing house prices exponentially increasing yeah. year on year, mortgage rates staying low, growth in the economy being consistently yeah. good, yeah. but now we, we, we've reached a pivot point, more of which in a second. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And so we've sold them down the river. I, I, I'm not sure that it's quite that simple, but yeah. I, th I think if I was young, I would feel something of that and you know the trend is you know even now not to rent but actually to move back to your parents yeah, we're absolutely. becoming italy the key thing is what are you entitled to i mean in, in asking that question about complacency there's almost an under an under sub question there uh, did you feel entitled to buy a house and make a lot of money selling the house and at some point buy a house that you no longer have a mortgage on and we'll see you through to your um, dying days um, with minimal additional costs. But you have the the, the whole um, house becomes your pension. Yes. And you also have the buy to let thing in in this equation yes. as well. And the increasing the other dimension of the problem now is that the buy to let market is having to respond to the mortgage price increase because these things have to be funded. So you have people, you have the prices for that going through the roof and you're now having renters which who are really just funding other people's mortgages yeah, yes. when yeah. really in an ideal world with the UK model they should be buying their own house. Yeah. And you, you just have to look for, for less money. Across to other countries which aren't struggling as much as we are that have a slightly better, you know, international money market rating from the likes of Moody's standards and poor and so on. We've been downgraded over years since Brexit. Other countries haven't been. Yes, we're all struggling. They have a far higher culture of, of, of rentals. Rental, exactly. And yes, commun yeah, communal yeah, housing. Yeah. And so the impact is less. So here's Tim, Tim's um, economic stat of the day. <laughs> we need to do need, 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 need a logo for that. Um, <laughs> if you're in the, the lowest 20% of um, income in the UK, for the first time in history, you're worse off than the lower 20% living in Poland. So mm -hmm. where I lived in rugby, there was a large Polish community, wonderful people, great shops, brilliant plumbers, doing a lot of the jobs that British people didn't want to a lot do. Of grafting. Yep. Yeah. Then they're going home now because of Brexit, but they're also going home because the basic standard of living at the lower level is far higher than it is in the UK. We're soon going to be passed by Latvia and Estonia, by Romania and by Bulgaria. Discuss. None of which should imply that any of those countries are not deserving of having an improvement in their own 
got the living Not implied in so any way. They, in, they, indeed, just for the benefit of those out in podcast land who might assume that there might have been a little bit of that. No, it's uh, just the, the way the econ- economic market yeah, of Europe is yeah, moving yeah. through their own graft and yeah. hard work. They make decisions for the greater good for the longer term. Our economy, I think, for the last maybe dare I say, a couple of hundred years, despite the benefits that perhaps we've had personally in the last 30 to 40 years uh, of getting to a point now where we're financially secure-ish. Um, but we're still struggling with cost of living. Our our grocery shop goes up, our petrol tank costs more to fill, etc., etc. Here's one to think about. Um, if I mentioned the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Norway... Oh, yes. ..and Scottish oil... Yes. ..in the same sentence... Rory's gone all thoughtful, <laughs> thoughtful and um, Scottish. Well, just hold me back, Tim. But, but but really, it, it's absolutely yeah. criminal. And this was largely not completely. So the Labour Party under Tony Blair could have done something about this. It wasn't initially their problem, yeah. but they could have done and should have done. And now hold up their hands and say we didn't think of it, which at least is honest. Yeah. But nor if anybody wants to see a big number, go onto the Norwegian government's website and type in Sovereign Wealth Fund of Norway and see how much have that they have in the bank based upon oil resources, water resources and wind power. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big number. Yeah. And you, you, you say certainly Tony Blair and Labour didn't think about it at the time. I would challenge that. Well, I think that's when the Norwegians started doing sure. it aggressively. You sort of late seventies, early eighties. Well, th- they, they were late nineties, two thousands. So it, UK politicians mm. take your pick. Yeah, indeed. But you know, you, yeah. even if you'd come to the party late, you'd have still yeah. made a mint. But there, um, are you familiar with the Macron report? Yes. Yes. So the Macron report was a report done by a. Uh, a, a UK government economist, not a French baker, Gavin Macron. <laughs> Macron. <laughs> no, Gavin Macron. There may well have been Macaroon. some French ancestry there. Lee's macaroon bars. Now that's another subject. I'm writing that down for a future episode. You know, podcasters do he's some written, research. He's written tunnocks. Just saying. Lee's, a brand that I believe just just about exists still, is being sold on in many things. Uh, to, to many other brands, uh, had a product called Macaroon Bars, Scot- Scottish Macaroon Bars, a, a, a lovely delicatess, delicate, sweet, kind of tooth rotting uh, product, absolutely delicious. I've learned in the recent months what the primary ingredient of a Lee's Macaroon Bar is. Sugar, I'd guess. Well, after sugar, there's a, there's another primary ingredient, perhaps a secondary ingredient. Uh, we'll let you know next time. Tune in to episode 11 for the primary ingredient of a Lee's Macaroon Bar. The Macron report, in the meantime, was suppressed by the Labour Party because it proved that Scotland, because of the recently discovered North Sea oil, that if Scotland were an independent country, would be the wealthiest country on the planet by size, by a mile. Um, So it was suppressed because that would have fuelled the the growing interest. There's 74, 75 in, in national identity and independence in Scottish politics. I think I think yeah. I would say wealthy per se is nice, but actually it's about what you do with it. So there's oh, some yeah. Middle Eastern countries who are jolly wealthy. And actually their own citizens, whilst not necessarily enjoying great freedoms, enjoy great health services, schools and so forth. Yeah. So ta- ta- it, no it isn't quite mm. as simple as having a, a, bun- a bundle of cash. It, mm. It's the political system and how redistributive yeah. it, it is. And I think coming to the point I never quite made a few seconds ago, you know, our 
economic system com- in comparison to those on the near continent have been run for the benefit of the few not for the benefit of all I, I consider myself a collectivist if you were to label me or brand me as any kind of political animal it would be a collectivist which is I want people to become millionaires billionaires you know through their own graft and luck and uh, innovation but I also want the people at the bottom of the pile to be totally looked after because I don't want to have to hide away from them. I don't want barbed wire around my um, garden. I don't want to ride in a car with a gun, you know, to protect myself. I want there to be a levelling up. Oh, that's a phrase. Um, right across society. But that means some people have to come down and pay their share so that everyone can live a quality of life harmoniously. Uh, I, I, I agree with that. And I, it's a really solid statement. And I, I think if we had a kind of a podcast... Um, uh, goal section or mission statement that that stuff would 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 be in there just to close this extremely boring economic segment off i hope you're still with us out there yeah um there was a there's been a little bit of publicity for a thing called donut economics based on a book an academic called kate rayworth not sophie rayworth from the bbc but kate rayworth any relation well hopefully you'd hope so um this is predicated on much that we've just been talking about in the last five or ten minutes that and which is the which is the growth myth so if we think back to liz truss's budget this was all about everything will be better if we have more growth now it's easy to lampoon the trust government but it's kind of a natural outcome of the growth myth so the whole of economic theory in the western world is based upon growth we must the companies must grow to pay their shareholders back to give a better deal for the customer to have more money into the redistributive part of the economy so we have to grow the the nation more people working at for higher sums so that we can feed this constant growth donut economics says the opposite Donut economics flips the paradigm. What it says is that actually, given the climate challenges that we have, we have to shrink the economy. And that may mean that rich companies, which the UK is still just, has to actually get used to consuming less. Because in the future, if we continue to grow, we are going to burn the fuels, the resources, the ozone layer, we're going to burn the planet's resources faster. We're going to knock down forests, we're going to dig out minerals, we're going to destroy mountains, seabeds, etc. Correct. So are electric cars truly the answer? If you look at the whole life cost, they're actually higher than petrol vehicles. If you look at the raw materials they need, they're actually impossibly difficult to find and increasingly we'll be fighting wars over who has the last lithium. Very and they're much actually being hoovered up by the yeah. Chinese, the Russians yeah. and the Americans yeah. as we as we yeah. speak. Because a lot of the, the great mineral wealth on the planet is, you know, held in countries that are, is the right word, vulnerable to outside influence, you know, from the West, from the East, from the yeah, those like us and those not like us. And Donut Economics is saying, well, actually, this is, we're taking the wrong perspective on our economic future. If we continually base it upon growth, we will naturally hasten our ultimate decline. What we have to get used to is saying that there is enough for everybody to get by, but the rich West has to get by with less. Now, this is incredibly difficult to get your mind around because how do you craft this? 
as a political message. Can it's I, impossible. Can I simplify the the abstract economic theory there? Go ahead. Uh, to make sure I've been listening, um, first and foremost. Are you familiar with the, the, the idea that there is no more water available now on Earth than has ever existed? And it just goes through different cycles and it evaporates and it goes through the precipitation cycle and you know, lands on us as rain and you know, clouds travel around the world carrying water to different parts and the seas and the rivers and the lakes and so on. Could we draw an analogy between that? There is a finite um, water resource that everybody you know, gets to have their share of. Should there be, a, and is this where donut economics is going, there is a finite money resource if there was only X amount of money in circulation in the world, what we're doing currently is turning forests and minerals into money when we should say no more. The money that's here is the money that should be circulated for that collective, harmonious, greater good. So money, I think, is a bit of a red herring because governments can always print more and they can devalue and so forth. Mm. With raw materials, there is only a finite amount, end of, and each time you use them and mine them, there's a considerable loss in the process. So you might start out with 100%, but by the time you've refined it, you're probably down to 50% and the rest is unusable. Mm. Mm. And that is going. The basic thing is that we have to make do with using less or the time span contracts scarily and the politicians hear this they agree but they can't think how that this can ever be sold to the public particularly on the bigger scale so what's interesting is you're seeing cities european cities north american cities who are taking this on board so it's people like amsterdam oslo stockholm who are saying we have to do things about this so we will stop we will stop cars we will have more public transport we will make things more electric yeah. You know, here's another one. Electricity consumption has risen 50% in the last 10 years. Wow. Well, and it's not all fueled, pardon the pun, by uh, renewables either. Indeed not. Yeah, and we so have a story, I think, about Scottish ra- roundabouts and their contribution to, to the yes, renewables. Yes. But I think Stay we've tuned. gone on for this on long enough and it's time to take a break. Absolutely. <laughs> well, back after that uh, exciting economics uh, lesson from our Professor Tim. Um, I, I actually have to say I really enjoyed that. It, we were getting a bit carried away perhaps, but there, when you start digging in behind the figures, there's a, a, a lot to learn. And I, and I think digging in behind figures is a very nice introduction to our next, I should say your next uh, interview guest, um, the, the wonderful Sophie Blake from Ventnor Beach, who's been running a business with her family, or her family have been running a business for many over 100 years almost 200 years i think yeah certainly back to the 1840 something yeah, i yeah. think the blake sign says so i had a wonderful half an hour on the beach with with sophie um unfortunately some of it was recorded but the, almost the bits either side of it were more fun where <laughs> we probably were allowed to be a little bit more risque and yeah, you can imagine when you, but, there's uh, this thing about doc- doctors you know p- patients have a white coat syndrome um when you go into a doctor's you see a white coat your blood pressure immediately rockets and you start sweating these 
nefarious symptoms appear. Perhaps people who are not used to being interviewed by big burly men uh, are uh, have a similar kind of stage fright. Would probably be the word. Certainly true about the blood pressure. I, that, that that is my case exactly. Right, right. Um, so you and I have known Sophie yeah. for a very long time, yes. and possibly Jane for Jane even longer. Jane since she was a baby. Cause Jane, I, I was thinking about this, and I, I reckon heading towards thirty years in my case, mm. and she's just been an ever present on the beach in Ventnor, sitting out the deck chairs with her dad, getting down and open, opening the kind of the beachfront office, then more latterly running the museum and the shop and also I'm um, setting up the tea hut and seeing her children come on board and get involved I mean 30 years for you uh, there thereabouts I think I mean first time holiday in the Isle of Wight with Jane when we first started uh, courting or Netflix and chilling I think the kids call it these days <laughs> yes um, I hope I've got that right um, it would have been around about just having our A-level results so 1984. Um, so that's that? longer, longer, longer than us. Yeah. So um, we start bringing our family over to Ventnor as soon as we could, as soon as we had a family, because we really wanted them to have the beach, traditional beach spade, uh, ice cream, uh, deck chair, beach hut holiday that Jane had enjoyed with her family for 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 many decades. So uh, we were luckily able to give them that and probably saw a lot of the heyday of uh, Benton Beach but um, Sophie and her family you know still running a well, clearly a successful business lots of elements to it they've diversified somewhat from the uh, the simple days of selling deck chairs uh, on the beach but uh, and I, yeah I, I, th I think that's probably the last point to emphasise before we hear our chat is that the economics have got tougher. So yeah. they have a franchise from, I guess, from, from the Island Council, maybe Ventnor Council. They have the longshoremen rights to the front. So in the old days, it was letting out hundreds of deck chairs and going around and collecting the money Literally and then things on the back yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, nowadays, people rock up with their own chairs. They're less interested in the deck chair experience or they say, I'm only going to be here five minutes. Um, they've had to move into catering. They've moved into the museum. Um, it's well worth going along mm. and having a look. Oh, let's, yeah. let's pass over let's, to Sophie. Let's let Sophie talk to Tim about some of these interesting facts and we'll be, we'll be right back. So here we are again, podcasters, on beautiful Ventnor Beach, and it is absolutely glorious. I'm sitting on the sand with Sophie Blake, who we've long wanted to have a chat to. So let me pass over to Sophie, who's Ventnor born and bred, I guess, and we were going to talk a little bit about the Longshoremen's Museum. Hi, Sophie. Hello there, Tim. Right, yes, I was actually born in the Longshoremen's Museum. Um, it was called The Dawn, my late mum and dad's cottage. Uh, family have run the beach business since 1830 with the beach huts and uh, beach equipment. Uh, now I, uh, mum and dad established the Longshoremen's Museum 40 years ago in what was called the Dawn. And um, I now that my parents have passed away, uh, my eldest son Paul Berry is running the beach business. So I am 
running the Longshoremen's. So we spoke to Paul about two, two or three weeks ago, a really good interview because he's doing the um, mermaid-sponsored row across the Atlantic. So how, how do you feel about him and the guys doing that? Oh, very, very proud, but oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been massive, massive, really, really good challenge. It really is. Um, they're, they're so up for it and they, they've, they've trained really hard and they're clearly prepared. I guess it'll be the mental side, what, 40 odd days will be tough. But Well, Paul rode round the Isle of Wight five five years ago and um, I said to him, why don't you just row round the Isle of Wight for 40 times? <laughs> At least we can see you go past and that. <laughs> and then they could, they could pop in for the loo and yeah. into the, into the um, Mill Bay for a pint. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a bit more about the museum. If, if we were to come along, what would we expect to see? Well, um, um, uh, mum and dad had uh, done all the like the paintings and dad had made the um, models out of wood, the boats and the old bathing machines. So there's a lot to look at in there. Um, there's a lot of history, old engravings, photographs. I've now got local fossils in there. Uh, I've added two dinosaur footprints from the Isle of Wight and, dino- and, and fossils from the Isle of Wight. I've got uh, added to it original windows from the Gaiety site that's been demolished. Uh, There is folders of stuff in there, old photographs that would be my late dad's pictures and information about the the history of Ventnor. It's all about the undercliff, shipwrecks. My late brother, Bob Blake, who died um, uh, 13 years ago, he... um, he used to go diving and I've got a lot of stuff from the shipwrecks that he dived for and it's just a lot of Ventnor history and the surrounding. So, so there's, there's a load of things for everybody, for the local historians you've got stuff, for the children there's the dinosaur idea and it's a nice way of breaking a day on the beach, you know, come in for, for an hour, have a wander around chance to buy a few souvenirs in the shop as well the front yes it's um free entry the museum is and yeah it's uh it's uh, really good for the children looking at the dinosaur footprints um i sell uh, some of the local fossils in my gift shop i sell um lots of it's it's like a a, a child's um uh <laughs> Are we talking dolls' houses? Do you still do some of that stuff? Yeah, I do the dolls' house uh, furniture and accessories. Um, it's uh, like um, I've got the biggest collection on the island. Uh, my late mum used to collect it. Um, I remember Rory's daughter, Caitlin, that was one of the um, things she looked forward to with their annual summer holidays was stuff to, to add on to her, her dolls' house um, collection. So if you're listening out there in London, Caitlin, this is a hi from us. <laughs> yeah, um, I get people coming from mainland most of my dolls house collectors are retired um, it is a really lovely hobby it can be a bit expensive but it's a great bug but it it's like a little treasure trove for the children in there I sell shells I sell um, jewelry gemstone jewelry which I make myself some of it and, and also the um I know that my wife Ella has got a couple of um miniature beach huts made by is it Trudy Trudy Bridgman yes she is my um uh, longest uh, friend we've been friends since we've been three years old and she started making the beach huts out of our old deck chair wood and they sell absolutely amazing because it is actually something from Ventnor I also have um, my late mum Rosemary Blake she was an artist 
and I've had a lot of her um, paintings made into postcards which I sell. They're a pound each so they sell really well and it you know, keeps their memory so in the some, shop and the beach. Yeah, really really nice ideas for presents for people who've got memories of Ventnor and you know would like to go back to that, that deck chair era on which is when I started coming, because my earliest memories of you were um, working with your dad, running the um, <coughs> running the beach basically, putting the chairs out in the morning and stacking them up when yeah, end of the evening, collecting the cash and so forth. Yeah, things have changed now. Um, we don't hire so many deck chairs. People bring their own equipment. Um, uh, we got sun lounges. The, so the, the the beach business has sort of like, but then people can't bring their own equipment you know they come into the museum they use our tea hut uh, my son Paul and daughter-in-law Abby have changed our beach hut into a tea hut uh, which is doing lovely coffee and, and uh, ice creams and cold drinks and there's decking looking over the beach uh, it's a lovely place to sit and of course the beach huts which um, we, we hire every year and really love as a base where we can keep our stuff and come down and we've had a dip already this morning I yeah. think I saw you sneaking in as well yeah I did <laughs> um, yeah 24 of the beach huts are actually the original bathing machines um, cut in half um, there's all this information and photographs and um, models of them in the museum but there's none recorded made uh, since 1860 and my dad used to say, well, they might start making a profit next year. <laughs> if you've been to Osborne House, anyone, and you've seen the one that the Queen used to go down into the sea in, th these, these are similar. So obviously cut down, as Sophie says, but you can actually have that experience of thinking, well, you know, this is where the Queen possibly got changed back in the day. Yeah. Also, the, the beach is um, looking a little bit different these last couple of weeks with the wind coming from the east. Um, the, the east end of the beach has been a bit rearranged yes because um, it's been easterly the last month all the shingle um, has come from the from the east end and it's all going now in front of the spyglass so we got like a beach in front of the spyglass and it's a bit of a, a drop um, like in front of the mill bay there but it's just nature the people think that somebody's come and bulldozed it but they haven't it's just the it's just nature when it goes around southwest, it'll come back again. So it's not spyglass just trying to create a kind of a walking beach atmosphere <laughs> at, the, at the expense of everyone else. Well, it looks. Yeah. <laughs> it I think I may have crossed a line there, listeners. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, have you ever have you worked on the island all your life? I was well, like I said, I was born in the museum. Um, and um, that's yeah, a remarkable claim. That's I live brilliant. just behind. I haven't. I did live in Whitwall with my first husband for seven years, but that's the furthest I've lived. I've so, only lived in three houses <laughs> all my life. <laughs> have you ever been tempted to get to look, to work off, or have just no, not? no holidays? I love holidays because you like heading off to the sort of the far east and so forth, don't yeah, you? Yeah, went to the Maldives people used to say to me why on earth do you want to go and sit on a beach and sunbathe <laughs> you worked on a beach all your life but I haven't got to like keep looking up and hiring out deck chairs and walking about I can just sit and you know <laughs> and who doesn't like to have a drink brought to them by somebody else you know with a with a palm tree in it and exotic fruits and things <laughs> so what next 
what next? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I, we see you cycling along the front with your dog. And... Yes, um, yeah, I've, um, yeah, at the moment I can't do that, but uh, because of, um, uh, because the revetment's um, uh, broken along there, so um, I can't be doing that at the moment. But yeah, I just take my dog out, cycle, swim, look after my grandkids on the beach. It's just like... I didn't. All my children grew up on this beach. Sounds a bit like my life, really, ex- except without the grandkids. <laughs> can't, can't Sam and Matt. Um, but, but yeah, you're looking after the dog cycling and yeah. coming, coming down to the beach. Um, it's, it's hard really to see beyond it, though. We're looking out over the horizon, which is clear and the waves are kind of fairly smooth it is so so lovely that's been re- re- really good do you think the what about the business side of things do you think there are any changes in the offing i mean we've seen them really sort of change the way the tea hut works so oh, building yes. a very well, strong foundations and probably a bit more resilient to the stormy yeah. wet, stormy weather well we used to have you know chair stacks you know there'd be thousands of deck chairs on the beach now you know looking behind us there's only four and nobody's sitting in them because people just bought their own stuff but my dad used to say it doesn't matter where people go whatever the weather is they won't hire deck chairs but they will eat and drink so um, it was a good idea to to open the uh, the Blake's Tea Hut now which was the old office uh, because you know that's um that's some, you know, income for us. Obviously, you've got to pay a lot out to the council for renting the beach and insurance 12 months of the year. So, and the beach huts, but the beach equipment is not, um, on good days, yes, obviously, um, you know, lounges and that, maybe in July and August. There's some fairly stiff competition for sort of food and drink as well, I guess. So it's picking that right niche because you've got the, the pubs at either end and, and you know, some nice coffee shops and places in the in the middle, the lobster for food. Oh, yeah, the smoking lobster. And you've got Lady Scarlet's. We've got Tony's Tea Room. And Golden Sands. The Golden Sands. Which I understand is back on the market again. So. Yeah. We've got the Spyglass, which is very popular. Then we've got the Mill Bay at the other end, the Met Bar. Yeah, there's a lot of nice um, eating and drinking places here, and it's like a little microclimate, Ventnor Beach. So that's our recommendation. If you haven't been to Ventnor, you really should get down here. <laughs> Lots of good local businesses to support, and um, I, I, I think it's the nicest beach on the island. Having walked pretty much all of the others with the dog in the last year or so since we moved, um, this is the place that we always come back to. I just wish, we, wish it was dog-friendly in the summer, but I understand why it's not. I, I completely agree it should be dog-friendly. Days like today, you know, we, I mean, your dog would happily sit down here with you and not bother anybody. Yeah. Ours, ours would run around madly for about five minutes. Yeah. And then he'd go and sit in the hut with it, with a, his water and curl up and go to sleep for the rest of the afternoon. So. Well, a lot of the time, um, the dogs are more better behaved than some people. So <laughs> <laughs> my dad would say that, and he'd prefer to have a dog on the beach. <laughs> I think, and he was he was a very wise man. <laughs> Sophie, it's been lovely to have a few words. Thank you. And just to give everyone else a little glimpse into life on the vent the seafront so thank thanks ever so much that's a pleasure
that, Sophie, and indeed Tim. Um, uh, it, it's quite strange listening to an interview with somebody you know so well, as opposed to somebody you just have a kind of passing acquaintance or relatively fresh knowledge of, someone who you've known for 40 odd years. Um, you know, interesting perspective, interesting to hear her talk. Um, in a different way than the way she talks to you on a daily basis. Yeah. You know and we both I mean. didn't have many clothes on either, because we'd both just been in the sea, which was a little a little bit tingly. Thank goodness this is audio only. Oh, there's a photo on the Instagram <laughs> site, I do remember. It, it, it was great fun. Uh, apologies if there's a little bit of background noise, but you do an interview on Ventnor Beach, that's what you're going to get. We like to give you all the elements. Yes, we um, do. Not just, not just the audio. So from one island legend, Sophie Blake and her family, or legends I should say, to another island legend, which is, I think I've referred to this before, Tim, as for many people, this event is probably ubiquitous to the Isle of Wight, which is the Isle of Wight Festival. And uh, you and your good lady um, experienced it firsthand. We did. Um, when do you think the festival started in its current incarnation? I am I should have researched this. I didn't anticipate the question. I'm going to say 2001. You see, you're totally safe, because no one's going to... If you say it with confidence, no one's going to check you. Oh, 2001, Tim. Well, do you know what? I think you're almost exactly correct. I think I think 2002-ish. Oh, right. But, but you'd had the, the ones in the 60s yeah. with Jefferson's Starship and Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix. Yes, yes. And then a, a significant break due to murders, drugs and the rest of well, it. And an act of Parliament that forbade there ever being another <laughs> Ida White Festival because of the chaos that ensued. Indeed. Yeah. Um, but resurrected in 2000 and getting progressively more and more popular. Um, I've been to lots of concerts. Ella has been to her fair share, but neither of us, hand on heart, could say that we'd been to a proper festival. We've been to blues and folk festivals and country... Out outdoor events. Yes, you know, yes yeah. but we'd never been to anything. We actually put one on at a school once, so we were kind of like the auteurs. That's another story. But, but we'd never been. We decided to go after her children had a great time the year before, mm -hmm. so we bought Sunday tickets. Mm -hmm. The big draw for Ella was um, Robbie Williams, and for me, uh, Echo and the Bunny Men and the enemy, Blondie. So there were some names people of my age would probably remember. And we went along, we got there early afternoon um, and had a terrific time. It, it was the day that had seen rain. So the other days, Friday and Saturday, were baking as the island has basked in sunshine for the last month. Um, the weather broke on the Sunday and we had mm, sort of everything from steady drizzle to quite heavy rain for about four hours through the afternoon. But then it perked up and finished, finished lovely. And I would recommend the experience to anyone. Um, we, we had day parking, uh, which was some way away, and Ella and I both clocked up 20,000 steps for the day, but that's good good for our legs. And we established a sort of a base camp. It was perfectly permissible to take um, camp chairs, lots of people did. And we had a little base camp area, which we'd return to, and then we'd wander off and have a little investigate. She let me go and see a few of the bands that she was less interested so in. So neither of you are heading towards the mosh pit at the front of the stage? We, we both of us went down and had a little look but actually it, 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 it was less mosh and less pit and it was fairly dry so uh, 
and given the people that they had on our day it was probably more likely to be crashed by a wheelchair or a chair a camp chair than by you know um some somebody pogoing i, I think the people we saw were ella henderson and um, we saw niall horan somebody called mika or mica who mika, I, yeah. I don't know who's a lebanese british yep. um Popster and has one song that everybody's heard of, yeah. and the rest of it we weren't quite so sure yeah, about. Yeah, yeah he kind of a, a bit of a flash in the pan. He came to recent prominence because he co-hosted a program with an Isle of Wight connection about the piano. So they had these okay. amateur pianists playing in railway stations for a, a documentary, and they were somewhat tricked uh, into this, not in a bad way, but in a good way, because there was a, a prize which was playing at the Royal Festival Hall in a concert, and one of the um, participants was an Isle of Wight lad from Ventnor called Jane. I think I saw uh, this on the, in the local paper. Suddenly yeah. escapes me, but Mika was one of okay. the two the two kind of key judges on that. And Jay, the builder, did some work in our house. Uh, our well, there we go. Very minor the circular claim economy. To fame, yes, but, uh, um, then the early evening was Blondie, who was great, but struggled a little bit with such a outdoor set. We, we think she may have been a bit better suited for a slightly shorter set indoors um it, it was tough going playing to a very la large wet audience um robbie was robbie so you got a lot of the take that story a fair amount of bitterness and sort of personal psychotherapy played out how did that come across jane and i watched it live or as live on the on the sky uh, arch channel at home um and it came. We were just mesmerised by the whole Robbie Williams performance because you got Robbie Williams on steroids. I hope not literally, but you got everything that you know and expect from Robbie. You got in that TV experience. You did. Around us, there was a lot of hardcore Robbieists with the T-shirts, and they they were they were yelling, "Sing! We want the more singing, less story." So I think they've heard it probably a lot, and I think they felt there was a bit too much filler for themselves yeah. but then a lot of people most of the casual audience seemed to love it yeah. and just you know would have clearly done anything yeah. for yeah. him yeah. I, I'm a bit sceptical I'm, I'm not a great fan I, I can admire the artistry but I, I, the music doesn't really mm. do it for me but you know he delivered the product mm. yeah, absolutely. and yeah. I, a lot, most people were very happy with yeah. it I, I thought his, we'd, we'd heard him live on one of these perhaps one of these recent royal events which I, I say through gritted teeth uh, it may have been something completely different but we, we thought his voice was this maybe four or five years ago was very poor but Sunday night we thought his voice was incredibly strong he, he looked a little older when you see some of the photos close <laughs> up don't we all well in, indeed but I, I <laughs> thought he was in good fettle in, in that order and they finished with fireworks and drones yeah, yeah. Um, and I think every, anybody you know got got good Robbie so that yeah, was good. Yeah, good for me the two highlights I went and saw the enemy who were a Coventry band who Sam and I my eldest son both really liked back in the day we live and die live and die in these towns, towns yeah. and they were superb and yeah. they were quite they were young enough to be quite high energy yeah yeah they played the classics I was going to they ask they filled their, the big top yeah to, did, to bursting sorry to interrupt you there no, I, I was going to ask there was a lot of the lineup kind of had this safe middle of the road dare I say it middle class comfortable vibe about them you know Blondie Robbie Blondie, Blondie's new wave punk and there was a lot of swearing I think because 78 there was, there was a lot of silencing going on on the 
the feed on the television that you would have heard all her naughty words. So, so I, I, th- I think she struggled. Right. So she started strongly. I think she had some problems with the words, with the voice. You know, it's a big ask. Yeah. And she is a quantum amount older than anybody else yeah. who was asked to stand on a very big stage with a very big wet audience with all due respect to my illustrious father who is has his own experience of playing to uh, women's rural institute audiences and fairly large audiences at Lochry Highland nights back in the day when we lived in Scotland doing folk songs playing guitar in, in a group and so on and and on his own I was trying to imagine my 77 year old dad performing on a stage in uh, the Isle of Wight Festival and there was a 78 year old a grandmother, I presume. I don't know if she's had children. Oh, probably. Or I don't know. I so so. I've followed her career. I've got, I like most of the songs. I like even like some of the recent mm. songs. Um, I just I thought she struggled mm. a, li- a little bit, and I think those. So, so you, you tend to live in the memory and you project mm. things. So you know, all credit for seeing her for being up and doing mm. it. I, I suspect smaller venues, perhaps a little bit more intimate and with a reduced mm. song sheet, might have been easier. Mm. But I guess she just wanted to go go out and say that yeah. she she she'd done that. Well, it was all a bit rock and roll because her bass player was the um, Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols. That's correct. And he he looked like this suave, sophisticated uh, raconteur thinking, hang on, is that a blow from the Sex Pistols? So, um, but uh, personally, I thought the, um, the what they called the big top, which was the second stage, which was about three big circus tops joined together, um, I saw the enemy I then went and saw Echo and the Bunnymen, right. who were my favourites right. back in and the that, day. And is that your two highlights, the enemy and he, Well, Echo? It, it is. The third one would have been the Manic Street Preachers, who played after Robbie. Yeah. And we, we loitered and watched a couple of songs, and they they were very good as well, but we were m- heading towards the exit. Yeah, yeah. But the, the Bunnymen have always been fairly static anyway. They don't tend to move around a lot. But the, we saw them at the Derngate Theatre in Northampton about... Mm, eight seven eight years ago Ella and I she didn't like them I did but Macca was clearly drunk on the night and it, it wasn't their finest hour but I guess he thought I'm, I'm in Northampton on a Wednesday night for anyone I mean I lived through that era as well but I can honestly hand on heart say and don't don't look at me or judge I'm, me I'm for looking this. at him and I'm judging <laughs> um I couldn't name a track I couldn't pick out a track knowingly and say that was Echo and the Bunnymen so what would be my primer? What would be my entry to Echo and the Bunnymen? So there's an album called Ocean Rain, which has got a blue cover, and they appear to be on a boat in a sort of a blue cave, probably filmed somewhere in Derbyshire, I suspect, Blue John and all that. Play yourself Ocean Rain, and then let me know what you think. Okay. There's lots of others. They had about three albums before that, and lots since. Um, you, you, you need to pick your way through the, the best tracks, but start with Ocean Rain. Mm. I think you'll like it. I mean, it, it's classic rock from Liverpool. Very clever lyrics. Um, Jangly guitars. Of, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's it's Smiths. You, you'd put it as well, more musical, right. m- more upbeat. Smiths. Okay. Right. A bit Bowie-esque in that sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't make a lot of sense, mm-hmm. but you know, just the sound of it is yeah. one. It's the performance. And, uh, so a long favourite of mine. The problem was seeing them after the enemy, who were very strong stage presence, very mobile, very involving, and they had an enormous following in the tent. 
biggest fault really were. They kind of came over as a little bit static, but they ran through the hits. They pl posted the playlist on uh, social media the mm. day after, and it, it was all the great stuff. Mm. And I, so I, th I thoroughly enjoyed you were, you, that. You were, went away satisfied, punter. Well, yeah. if, even if I'd not seen Robbie or Blondie, I'd have been more than happy with the other yeah, two. Yeah. The other, but as your children will probably tell you, the great joy of festivals, though, is when you're wandering around, they've all got half a dozen little stages who you see people you've never heard of and you find wonderful little things lurking in Dingley Dell or mm. down by the river. <laughs> or I found myself on the at the electro stage, totally you know, lost. Is this but, like but, techno, techno, techno? Well, there was one of those, but there was also one that was kind of electrofusion and <laughs> there was an African band with lots of... Um, brass and silver stuff cool. it, and it, you know it's those moments spontaneous moments that actually where the real mm. fun lies so a big thumbs up from tim for the isle of Wight festival big thumbs up mrs deadman has her eye on weekender tickets for isle of Wight residents which are on sale early and somewhat cheaper so that doesn't include most of you lot out there by the way so you just join the queue <laughs> they could probably piggyback on the back of it if you really wanted to but just show us your money <laughs> but yeah uh, so very good uh, hard on the feet lots yeah. of walking but great, great experience Excellent. well i'm sure we'll revisit festival as we get closer to next year's um festival because i think you know you're doing a grand selling job on me and the people who i know who uh, i work with or have you know been friends with who we've been speaking to in recent weeks saying are you going to the festival and we say well no no we're not going to the festival why are you not going to the isle of white festival when it's on your doorstep so i think with tim's stories and recommendations i think we'll probably be there next year or certainly in the queue because we missed pulp the human league and george ezra no. amongst others all of which i'd love to have seen yeah, absolutely so Isle of Wight has many wonderful things to offer, festivals. Um, one of the th recurring themes for us on the podcast is, of course, the breakfasts. And perhaps you need a really robust breakfast to set you up for a day of festival um, fandom. And it was on the Sunday that we actually went Father's Day. Father's Absolutely, Day. Yeah. That we went to Goddard's, the Brewers, new premises in Ariton. On the Ariton Strip. The Ariton Strip. We get our kicks on the 3056. He's been waiting to say that for ages. Um, they have a very nice restaurant and uh, sort of balcony bar. And we went along to sample their breakfast brunch. Yeah, which was really, really um, a good overall experience. Um, uh, there's some very interesting aspects and elements to this, but this is a great initiative for the island. Um, Goddard's are one of the largest, if not the largest, brewer on the island with award-winning ales um, and an offshoot, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, an offshoot from the brewery company is the distillery company that produce mermaid gin. I'm not sure if there's just a connection or a... I think some of the staff work for both. Right. And it's clearly a close relationship. I think they may be independent commercially, commercially but yeah. clearly a, a relationship. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and indeed mermaid products were available in the gift shop and, and, and so on. But when you think of a perfect tourist destination, you want some degree of experience, some degree of education, some degree of wow factor. A gift shop. A gift shop, a tea shop, and really the, the Goddard's Brewery at Ayrton uh, on the ship now offers all of that. It ticks all those boxes, it I would say. ticks all those boxes, and, and I think would be a great tourist draw. There is one interesting element to access to everything other than the shop everything other than the shop you have to join their membership club you have to join the brewery membership scheme and there's a potentially a one-off fee 
um, first time you attend of £12.50. This gets you into the brewery experience, the tour, the little museum, um, the, 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 the static a glass. displays. It also gets you a glass, uh, a inscribed, engraved glass of their... Quite, quite a nice it's a beer, glass, beer yeah. glass. It's a pint, a pint glass, but with a stem. Very yeah, interesting. Yeah. Goblet. A goblet, you'd call that, would you? Yes, like a... Like a Belgian beer. I, I would think of it exactly that yeah, as yeah. a European yeah. kind of Trappist yeah. monk beer glass. Call me a traditionalist, but I like my ale in a straight pint glass. I'm not even a jug man. I am a straight pint glass man. And, you know, this is a wonderful element to the, the membership scheme is having a, a, a glass so inscribed. Um, but I felt it was the wrong kind of glass for me being a traditional bloke. I quite like it actually. I, it's probably because I'm an effete southerner. <laughs> but the, so sitting outside a French tobacco drinking a Belgian beer in that sort of glass. Oh, but that's, that's where the, the beer has had the foam sliced off the top with a knife and yeah, so on. Could be, and that's, could that's context. We're talking about a British beer and a British agricultural traditional environment sold in spit and sawdust pubs for some When part. I was at school we had a housemaster called Norman Keith Douglas who came from Wakefield in Yorkshire and his words on this sub subject were, if you can pour it, you can drink it, <laughs> which I think is probably about right. <laughs> it's a fair point, in the membership it? It matter. You, you also got um, three thirds of a pint yes. tasters of any of the three ales that they sell mm -hmm. so any three of the ales and there were plenty of people actually while we were having breakfast or brunch mm. who were actually sampling this mm. but we were there with our wives yes. and, and, felt, all, and all driving felt mm -hmm. felt that actually it was better to mm -hmm. um yeah. keep them on the card because you get a membership yeah. card and have them at a later yeah. date yeah which we've done but equally the membership scheme gives you discounts in the shop gives you advance notice of different events and things that will run and so on so not a bad you know offer for a membership scheme but it's going it's, if you were a family of four yeah adding 50 pounds before you go because you yes you get some nice little bits and bobs but if you were passing and thought oh let's go in for a beer and a lunchtime burger you're 50 pounds down before and it's yeah. going to cost you 50 pounds and one of the great elements of the scheme is that if you return within 12 months of your visit your last visit then they renew your membership with no additional charge. So it's a rolling membership. So it's a rolling membership. £12.50, in theory, in perpetuity, you pay it once. So I think for an, an island audience think, yeah. like us, we buy into it, we see the purpose of it. I think given it's a tourist island and tourist destination, maybe they've deliberately aimed to reduce those people down That's a That's my bit. big question. Is it a tourist deterrent so that it preserves the brewery experience? Because the, the actual restaurant with the outside terrace bar and so on um, the Firkin bar and the Firkin terrace I know there's probably no need for language like that Yes. Um, but they were really well appointed brand new, lovely decor it's got that kind of designed uh, but not overly yeah, designed exactly. they, they did feel yeah, comfortable yeah. and a, a lot of the kind the of inside outside that's right, the decorative experience was beer based and there were barley heads painted on the there wall were. what stuff. about the food though? I, I, I have to say with the food um, I've been broadly critical of the membership scheme there although I've paid my money quite happily to get in um, I would say the food was okay but I'd probably put it style over substance it was presented very grandly um, there is a, a post up already on our Instagram page showing the, the, the full oh crikey what was it called? 
what's the menu name for it food at the breakfast food, of the gods yeah, yeah. so I, I put it on, on, on facebook and um got an enormous amount of criticism with the god so i think i guess food of the gods the goddards re- reference of course yeah and i tried to explain this but i got all sorts of um godly like <laughs> cursing on facebook for for, 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 yes. for, for you, posting this thing what's what's it uh, someone doesn't believe in religion Athe- like the Athe- breakfast atheists yeah you were, you were being accused of being a breakfast atheist. they have a, a purity level which is totally artificial <laughs> so I, th- I thought i thought it was nice good to- the tomatoes were local and very nice bacon good but quite you, you have to like it crispy if you yeah. were someone who liked medium bacon this was at the crispy end sausages were reasonable I had scrambled egg, which was nice. Good. Uh, the toast was very good. Uh, toast was stunning. Sort of artisan bloomer type stuff. Uh, it, w- it was uh, acceptably good, but I would say not outstanding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I would say, if I haven't said this already, uh, my view is style over substance. It yeah. was presented beautifully on a lovely dark plate. The baked beans were in a bashed pewter um, ramekin. Chip holder. <laughs> chip holder. Well, yes. I suspect in the evenings that comes out. That's <laughs> where you get your chips in yes, yes, your, yes. with your burger. The butter came in a mini- miniature Which bashed Which I thought looked, looked a bit silly, yes, frankly, indeed. the butter. A little bit over the top. And again, the bacon was a tiny portion. You had to hunt for it. It was hiding under my eggs. Uh, Crispy. The, the food was, was cooked well, but I, I would say there wasn't enough of it. But the price was reasonable. For the full English, it was a, a mere £10. <gasps> which contrasts and compares favourably to many other outlets on the island where £10 would be something you'd get in a relatively simple cafe. But here we were in a brand new tourist experience, perhaps expecting something a bit special and a bit grand. I think so. Certainly not a not a criticism it's worth going and having yeah, but uh, we're thinking of having um some sort of a league table so if, yes. you, if you remember top gear and the uh, star in a reasonably priced car where they used to have to whip around the circuit as fast as they could in a ford fiesta or a larder or whatever it was we we're thinking of having a kind of a breakfast version of the same thing so i would say this is comfortably mid table yeah, mid table probably mm-hmm. just upper mid table so it's yeah. kind of the aston villa of the breakfast world <laughs> any villa fans out there <laughs> well, well now you know my email address <laughs> other Birmingham football teams are available <laughs> but possibly not in the Premier League <laughs> now then uh, speaking of this at the festival um, we'd not seen many football shirts I had a Derby County shirt on but we, we hadn't seen many other football shirts and then I saw three Birmingham City fans in a row with their Boyle Sports tops on now I know this because my son, youngest son is a girlfriend is part of a blues family of season ticket holders go blues um shit on the villa as they would say um thank you oh, that's check, just, checking the process. that's just made us parental uh, advisory it has <laughs> anyway ella said oh go over and say hello to those birmingham city fans me in a rams top go and say hello and get a selfie matt will appreciate that <laughs> i then saw them sniffing out of this little chemist bottle one of them clearly totally out of his head so i decided not to yeah, so matt i didn't wise, get a selfie i apologize wise, yeah. why did you choose to wear a derby county top to uh, a festival because I knew that it was going to rain and uh-huh. I wanted something camping like yeah, that yeah. dried very quickly Wicks. was very lightweight yes. but also had that kind of stylish obscure football yeah. team from yeah. the Midlands yeah. that was less likely to get you beaten up than Southampton or Portsmouth because I think I've 
picture I've seen you in this top before. It's the second away top, is it? Well, this is a different one. This is actually the third the team th- top. Ooh, right. they, Derby frequently have sales, so when they're down to a tenner. <laughs> so I've got the second team, which is an attractive purple, yeah. and this is the third one, which is black and green. Yeah. So out of 50, <coughs> 50 55,000 festival goers, probably four of you were wearing football tops. So it would appear, yeah, and I yeah. was the only one who wasn't off his trolley. There's, there's another statistic. Talking <laughs> breakfasts, I also sneaked in a very sneaky trip to Blueberries, which is a cafe on the um, cliff edge between Shanklin and Lake. So think Shanklin to, uh, to Sandown halfway between the two. You can either walk along the kind of the revetment, along the ground level near, near the sea, concrete base, or you can walk along the um, cliff top, which is the most beautiful views on, an, on a nice day. It's very elevated there, isn't it? It is, yeah. it is. You're a couple of hundred feet up, mm. I, guess, I guess. Blueberries has been there for a long time. Lovely cafe, very traditional. And picture again on the Instagram page of a very good standard cafe breakfast my only criticism would be that they were gluten-free sausages and these were sold as being kind of a feature and i felt they were a little bit dry but you know go along yourself give it a try and certainly a very good breakfast again at a reasonable price mm-hmm. and so, I, I was going i was part of my shopping trip so i kind of excused myself on those grounds oh were you there on your own mrs Deadman was at work but also this was uh this was an illicit cooked breakfast well I have to go shopping I do the family shopping yeah, on a yeah, first yeah. thing on a Friday morning so. and there's nothing in the law that says you have to go for a cooked breakfast when you're on your way to do the Isn't family there? shopping no 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 no. Th- you, not think, in my house Rory I think you're talking about the Scottish law <laughs> yes I think it could be well Scots law is very different and distinct as you know from it is from English laws <laughs> that's what I'm hoping <laughs> so we we have two breakfast candidates already for our new wall chart which we'll have to find a, a home for on the tinternet what would currently be um sitting at the top of our chart uh, I, I think I would probably still favour Bestie and Spinkies on the basis of quantity and quality quantity, quality, consistency and also a cheery hosts and oh, yeah, yeah. location I mean, a location right on the seafront view, there's a nostalgia element for us because we've been going there for, for so long under under different uh, different venues that they have um operated within um we were there again on friday morning last week i think it was for you on the way shopping i wasn't on the way shopping i was there with my other half it was entirely authorized i had everything signed off did she have the the, um ventner special uh she did not Uh. actually i will come back to goddard's in a moment as well on this because so i had my ventner bay um, which used to be called this before I, it used to be called the Ventnor Bay Special but it's so special they dropped the word special it's just a Ventnor Bay breakfast but the plate is the size of Ventnor Bay but, but you, you, you get more of everything more bacon, more beans, more eggs, more hash browns but, but the more quality sausages. is yeah, high yeah. and it contrasts with the Goddard's breakfast where individual components were high quality probably on their own had some excellent island provenance but were put together they they were kind of isolated from each other whereas the best in spinkers breakfast everything blends together nicely. i think harvey browns was probably closer to the goddards in style correct but they they were i think managed to elevate that yes. to the next level yes. but using the same type of ingredients yeah, yeah. so and, and again less emphasis on quantity league table is emerging quality. yeah indeed so I, right now i think I wouldn't say what I would put as my top breakfast, but Bestie and Spinkies, Harvey Browns would be up there. 
um, blueberries sounds like it might be a mid-table yeah again kind of up, up a mid-table more cafe like yeah, yeah. Um, perhaps mid-table yes mid-table. so then you've got people like Aegon's and Richie's who yeah. are your more traditional greasy yeah. spoon yeah. Aegon's are very popular amongst island residents yes it's, it's that's one I hear about cows above yeah. the um I think it may be above the Conservative Association. It's above, it's above a... Well, that rules it out for me straight away. <laughs> but yeah, but you can look down on them. And <laughs> well, if you drop something you, off the balcony, yeah. yeah. Have you ever considered a career in sales? <laughs> Excellent. So yes, we... we um, breakfast, recurring theme, you know, it's important to start a day well and having a breakfast whether you're on an illicit shopping trip or sorry an illicit breakfast on an authorized shopping trip uh, or not is a is, is a good thing so there we will probably have an off-island breakfast league table as well there'll be less candidates for us we spend less time doing that but there are some we could dredge up some historical memories yeah absolutely and uh, jane and i use premier inns fairly regularly in our travels around the uk so uh, Different Premier Inns offer and different styles. My wife and I are breakfast. heading to back to rugby in a week or so, and we will no doubt be having the breakfast. So we'll, yes. we'll re- report back we'll on report that. Back, yeah. This is a cue now for us to take a final break, and you need to drop an egg into some sizzling fat. Well, it's time for us to wrap up on this. Uh, momentous episode 10 just three more to go before we're going to be a permanent fixture in your lives according to the statistics um we might have overrun our timing allowance ever so slightly but we had a lot to talk about festivals food um economics those of you still awake might remember that from the early minutes of the podcast but uh we've got more exciting content planned ahead of us loads more and you know as a famous man once said um, why use one word when 23 will do absolutely yes so goodbye from me and goodbye from him that was quite like a podcast presented by Rory Forbes and Tim Devon.